So as you heard, um, uh, Curtis did not read from 1 John, right? I know that's why all of you are here, you know, this hype about 1 John. What the heck? You know, we come in here already, I'm open to 1 John, and now I've got to go all the way back to Isaiah. So um, we're going we're gonna, to, um, for several reasons, I'm not going to get into all the reasons, uh, we're going to um, postpone our expositional series in 1 John for just one week. Um, so I'm going to preach from Isaiah uh, chapter 6 today, and then next week we're going to begin our series in 1 John. So it won't be, uh, it won't be too much longer. Um, I apologize for those of you who came uh, just I- excited. If you were just here for 1 John, I'll just, I'm going to leave a, a, just a, a moment of awkward silence. If you wanted to leave, that's, <laughs> I totally understand. <laughs> that would be messed up, wouldn't it? Let's, uh, let's open up with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for, uh, for your word. We thank you that this Bible is inspired, um, that you wrote it. We thank you that um, while it was technically written by the hands of men, that it was you speaking to them and through them, that you were inspiring them. You were breathing into them uh, your words of life so that these words that we read are not meaningless, that they're not powerless, but these are words from our creator God to us. So God, when, when we come to this time where we worship together on Sunday and we, we pray from your word and we sing songs that are rooted in your word and we confess sin that is exposed through your word and now we listen to a sermon that is preached from your word, Lord, help us to have an appropriate reverence when we hear from your word that we should be attentive God, if any time during the week we should be attentive, it should be when we are reading individually, corporately, your word. And so God, help us. Help those of us who are tired today. Um, Help those of us who are uh, distracted today. Um, Help those of us who are disinterested today. God, do a work even right now, a preparatory work before we even get into your word, that we would be ready ready to hear from you. God, help me. And help me to speak clearly. Help me to speak in a way that exalts you and lifts your name above every other name. Help me to preach your word in a way that I can fade into the background and you can be in the foreground. That we love you and give you praise and honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open up to Hebrews 6. I mean, (laughs) Isaiah 6, but but Hebrews 12. I'm going to read you a verse from Hebrews 12. I just changed my mind again. Let's go Hebrews. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And we'll get to Isaiah 6 in just just a minute. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14, I think one of the most frightening verses in the Bible. Um, Not one to skim over. It says this. Uh, The author of Hebrews, speaking to Christians, speaking to us. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let me read that again and strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. And I want to focus on that holiness, so let me just collapse that verse. Strive for the holiness. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now that verse That verse should get your attention, no matter what your background is, no matter how much you know from God's Word, that verse should get your attention. It's it's very much like an if-then sort of clause. If, If this happens, then this will happen. Or if this does not happen, then this will not happen. And what this text is saying is, if this doesn't happen, and that would be striving for holiness... If there is no holiness, 
in your life, then this is going to happen. And it is you will not see God. You will not see God. Now, we probably have all different reasons why we came here this afternoon. All different reasons. To hear God's word, to, to, to get in a cool place. Um, a, a friend invited us. Um, someone nagged us enough. All different reasons. But I, but I can, though there's a number of different reasons, I can assure you we all want to see the Lord. We all want to see the Lord. And we don't want the alternative. We don't want to live eternally alienated from Him. 1 Corinthians 13 says that that now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see Him face to face. We want to see God. We want to be with God. We want to please God. We want to be on the side of His good hand, His favorable hand. We do not want to be on the side of His angry hand that is full of wrath. We want to see God. We want to come to a point in our eternity where we stand before God and we are square with Him. We are justified before Him. We are secure before Him. We are enjoying Him and we are to live with Him forever. And we don't want to be cast away from Him and alienated from Him forever. And this verse says that if you want that, then you must strive for holiness. And if you do not strive for and have holiness, then that will not happen for you. You will not see God. No holiness, no heaven. That's what he's saying. That's that's a strong statement. No holiness, no heaven. Be holy. We're saved by faith alone. We're saved by faith alone, but we're not saved by a faith that is alone. It's not just I say these words and I say I trust Jesus and I say I believe Jesus and I say I love him and done. Saved. No. We're saved by the kind of faith that changes us. We're saved by true faith that is is not alone but faith that for one thing, according to Hebrews 12, strives for holiness. If we don't have that, we will not see God. You may see Him without holiness. You may see God dimly through the smoke of hell, maybe. But you will not see God pleasantly. First Peter 1 Peter 1, 14-16 gets the same point across. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, and he quotes Leviticus 11, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's what God is saying. You must be holy. Why? For I am holy. So we are to, what God is saying, we are to be like God in this regard. We are to be like God in this regard. We are to be holy. Let's look at the holiness of God. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Let me read the first three verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, that's Isaiah, the prophet, the author of this book, and Uzziah has just died. He was a good king. In the year that he died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one called to another, and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So as would happen with prophets, God would communicate directly to them his word, and he would often give them visions to report. 
And he would sometimes bring, as he does here with Isaiah, he would bring him into the throne of God. He would see a vision of God in his glory that, that, that we don't see here on earth. He gives them some kind of a glimpse. And he gives that to Isaiah, and Isaiah reports this in a time where, uh, where things are uncertain in Israel because they had a great king in Uzziah who reigned for like 50 years, and, and he dies. And it's a reminder from God that your king is dead, but your God is not dead. But it says here that Isaiah, what, what we want in Hebrews 12, 14, we strive for holiness so that we will see the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 6, that's what he did. He saw the Lord. And we read about what he sees. I believe if we read John chapter 12, verse 41, that he is seeing Jesus in all of his majesty. And he's seeing him worshipped in heaven. And there's this song that the angels are singing. And when the, when the angels are, are, are there before God, it says that they're covering, they're covering their face. They're covering their face. They can't, even, they can't even look at God. Matthew Henry says they cannot bear the dazzling luster of the divine glory. It reminds me of a story Remember Moses when he sees the glory of God? We read about this story and, and Moses is going back and forth and he's going up onto this mountain. And when he goes onto this mountain, God is communicating with him. Or Moses would go into this tent that they had set up in the middle of the Israelites. They called it the tent of meeting. And when Moses would go into this tent, he went in to communicate with God. Remember, the people would all gather around the tent. They couldn't go in. They couldn't bear it. But they would go around the outside of the tent. And, and when, just imagine this. When, when Moses would go into the tent to meet with God, this pillar of cloud would come down from the sky and stretch and land outside the front of the tent so that everybody knew, do not disturb. Moses would be inside communicating with God. Well, there's one time where, where Moses is, is talking to God. And he starts talking to God about this, this conquest that's ahead of them. God is going to take them and give them the promised land. And, and Moses is, is pleading with God. He's saying, God, go with us. I want your presence to be, to be with us. We, we need you with us. And he says, this is what makes us, God, distinct as people in all the world. It's that you, the creator, that you are with us and you go before us and you bless us and favor us. And, and I want people to see, I want them to see you through us and to see your glory. So God, just, I'm just pleading with you, God, just, just come through and go with us. And, and God really loved what he was saying. It says that he, Moses found favor in God's sight because of what he was pleading for. And so Moses takes it a step further and says, God, you know, I'd really like to see your face. I would really like to see your glory. I have favor in your sight. Maybe I can ask for something here. I'm just intrigued. We've got this communication going and it's, it's unreal. It's beautiful. But I want to see, see more than this. And God's response, you can read about it in Exodus 33. And God's response to Moses is, Moses, you don't know what you're asking. And he says, no one can see my face and survive. No one can see me in, in all of my expressive glory and handle it. You would die. I don't know if you'd vaporize. I don't know what that would look like. But just, uh, that's what I picture. I picture the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Something would happen and he'd be dead. You, you can not handle seeing my glory. So God makes this compromise with them. He says, okay, but here's what I'll, here's what I'll do. I'm going to put you, there's a little cave here in the rock. 
So I'm going to place you um, in this cave, okay? So you're kind of shielded from everything. And then I'm going to put my hand over you, and I'm going to pass before you. And then once I'm past you, okay, in a distance, I'm going to remove my hand, and you can see, God says this, you can see my backside. And it literally means his hindquarters of God. God says, that's what you can see, that is what, that's what you can handle. Anything more than that, and, and you'll be dead. So God does this, and he puts him in the cave, and he covers him with his hand, and he, he moves past him in some sort of form, but he doesn't reveal all of his glory to Moses. He just reveals the point is a, a fraction, a reflection, a part of his glory, but yet more intense than anything we ever see, and, and he does that for Moses. And you remember what happens then when Moses comes down from the mountain? Moses comes down from the mountain and the people start freaking out. He, just look, he looks like a glow stick. His, his face is beaming this bright light. And it says the people have to, they have to hide their faces. And they ask him, they say, cover your face, Moses. Cover your face. Okay, put a veil. And for, from now on, when you're speaking with God, you need to cover yourself when you come down because we can't even look at it. The light is too bright. So, so think about that. I mean, think about what was blinding to them. All they were seeing was the effect on Moses' face from seeing a portion of God's glory. And just that was blinding to them. And so when we read about the Angels, the seraphim, probably more than angels actually, these seraphim, these creatures that are around the throne of God, it says they have six wings. You don't need six wings to fly. Two wings are used to fly, two to cover their feet, and two to cover what? Their eyes. God gives them what they need to shield themselves from his glory because they minister in his presence. And if God's going to create a creature that's going to be in his presence, they will need to be able to cover their eyes because no one can see me, God says, and live. It's holiness. And what are the seraphim singing? Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Got a very similar song in Revelation 4. If you have a Bible, turn there. It's a short chapter, but we'll read the whole chapter. We see something very similar. Very similar to what Isaiah got to see. John is on the island of Patmos. And remember, he is caught up. God takes him up into the heavens and he gives him a, a vision and this portion is very similar to what what we see in Isaiah in the book of Revelation if you've read Revelation we, we're going to hopefully in a year or so we're going to we're going to go through Revelation together I mean Revelation is is full of what we're going to read here in chapter 4 this isn't even the tip of the iceberg but just talking about the heavens and God and his glory and eternity and the kingdom. And it's, it's just, it's magical. It is beyond anything that we can comprehend. It's like Harry Potter on crack. Good, godly crack. <laughs> Revelation chapter 4. So listen to what John sees. After this I looked. This is that thing again. Listen to what he's seeing. It's just blinding. I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. That once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. 
And from, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne... On each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say... And listen to the song that they sing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We sung it this afternoon. Verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Before the holiness of God, we gladly exchange any treasure that we have as these elders cast down their crowns. Anything offering to God. But there's something else that's significant about the song that, that the seraphim are singing in Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. I learned this this week. In the English language, right, if we want to emphasize something or, or make sure when we're writing that you know it has particular importance, we have different, um, we have different linguistic techniques, right? You could put a exclamation point at the end. You can underline it. You can, put a, you can put a star. You can put it in bold. OMG. Whatever it is. We have different ways that we say, okay, this, what I'm saying right here are all capital letters. You know, some of you do that. Like, everything's always in all capital letters. Everything's really important. We have different things that we do to communicate that this, this right here that I'm saying, I really want you to pay attention to that. I love bolding. When I, when I write, I like to just I bold things, just random things. I just bold. And I don't know if it works for anybody else, but I'm wanting them to read that. And, and for those things, just pop out at them as having particular importance in what I'm writing. Now, in the ancient Hebrew, in which the Bible is written, your Old Testament, they didn't have any of those kinds of linguistic techniques. But, but what they used, and you even see this in the New Testament, is something called verbal repetition. So when something was important, they would use verbal repetition. They'd say it again. Paul does this in Galatians chapter 1. Remember Galatians chapter 1? He's writing to the Galatians, and he's like, I cannot believe that you are abandoning the truth so quickly. Like, I was just there. I just left. And you're already trading God in for these other false gospels. And then he says this in verse 8 and 9. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He says, if anybody comes to you and preaches a different gospel, may they go to hell. That's what he's saying. But then he says it again in verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him go to hell. He says it twice. Hey, Paul, you just, we, we got it. You just said that. But what is he doing? Verbal repetition. He's saying it again to emphasize how important it is. Jesus did this. Now everything, everything, that, it'd be hard for Jesus because everything he said was pretty important because he was, he's God. Everything that Jesus said was important, but even he made use of this linguistic tool. So what did Jesus do? What, what did Jesus say to preface something 
that he was meaning to say, okay, this is super important. Okay, I'm God, so everything I'm saying is important. But this right here, this is super important. And he would say, truly, truly, I say to you. He'd say it twice. It's not just random. It's not arbitrary. He's using something that was common in that day among the Jews, and it was this verbal repetition. Like in John chapter 3, verse 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, remember he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's pretty important. He's talking about regeneration. He's talking about coming to Christ. He says, he says no one can see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Not just going to church, not checking things off the list, not praying. It, you, you must be born again. You must become a new creation where the old is gone, the new has come. Super, super important, Jesus is saying. So what does he say before? He says, truly, truly. Or if you've got the King James Version, verily, verily. Life is but a dream. <laughs> verily, verily. And the word literally is amen, amen. That's what he's saying. That's pretty cool. And we do, in our culture, we say amens after somebody says something that we agree with, right? We've got some ameners in here. You've heard them. They're like these, there's, there's, there's competing ameners. They're out there. Sometimes I'll say something. Well, you'll hear it at some point. Now they're going to be self-conscious. Probably not say it. But at some point during the sermon, you know, you'll hear, you'll hear amen. What are they saying? They're saying, let it be, or, you know, or I agree. Sometimes, have you ever done, this is kind of a side note, have you ever, there should be amen mulligans. Have you ever done that? And you said an amen, you're like, and then you realize the pastor is being sarcastic, and, and you, you actually just amen out loud something you, anyway, anyway, that's a tangent, but we, we should have something like that in place. But, but anyway, we've got some interactive, we, we've even got a guy who just, he'll just blurt out full-on sentences and interact with me during the service. I love him, he knows it. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, everybody knows, right? I agree with that, sir. Wow, that was, that was a whole sentence. Sometimes there's even commas in it. Like, wow, that's... <laughs> anyway. Oh, Pat. So, so Jesus, I mean, get this. So we say that at the end. Jesus, he said it before he even talked. Amen, amen. And then he would give the truth. That's amazing. Why? I mean, only God can speak that way. You don't need to wait to hear what I'm going to say to give the amen. Let me just put it out there right now. Amen. Amen. And now let me tell you what I'm going to say. And Jesus would say, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The angels now in Isaiah chapter 6. The angels in Revelation chapter 4. In heaven, they declare God's holiness. That's what we're talking about. Without holiness, no one will see God. They declare God's holiness not once, not twice, thrice, three times. Three times. Holy, holy, holy. It is the only attribute of God's character in your entire Bible that is communicated in this way. How important is the holiness of God? It's important. We could say it is the most important attribute of God for us to understand. We could say that everything else that God is, if you will, fits within, God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. It never says in your Bible, God is love, love, love. R.C. Sproul says this. It never says God is mercy, mercy, mercy. God is just, just, just. But when it comes to His holiness, God is holy, holy, holy. What do Christians need to understand? What do people who are not Christians need to understand? as most importance about God, you need to understand that God is holy. And you, as it says in 1 Peter and Leviticus chapter 11, if you hope to see God because He is holy, you must also be holy. 
No holy, no heaven, no God, no fellowship, no community, no forgiveness. If there is not holiness, you do not get to see God. Look at the reaction that people have in the Bible. We'll read the next two verses in Isaiah. The reaction, not just of the seraphim, but now of people when they're standing before God in the splendor of His holiness. Right? We great, I think we gain great insight into something about God when you see how people react to it. Look at Isaiah verse 4 and 5. Of chapter 6. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe to me. For I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is terrified. That's what you're reading. He's standing before God in His holiness. He's hearing the, the seraphim singing about how holy He is. And He's terrified. He says, woe is me. I am, I am not like this God. I am a man of unclean lips. He knew that he did not belong in the presence of this God because of His holiness. Or we can read about Habakkuk at the end of his books, small book, like three or four chapters in the Old Testament, prophet Habakkuk. And he has this long interaction with God. And then in chapter 3, verse 16, the first half, it says, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. That is his description before God's holiness. I feel like rottenness has entered into my bones. I am so aware of my sin before this God. He can barely stand. His body goes into convulsions. His lips are quivering. Why? God is holy. God is holy. Or you remember the interaction that Job had with God? God just sits Job down. I mean, God is slow to anger. God is long-suffering. God is patient. And you see, if you read the book of Job, you, you see Job saying a lot of things that he should not say. And his friends saying even worse things. And God listens, and then finally he looks at Job. He says, you know what? Brace yourself like a man. And he spoke to him out of the whirlwind. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds really scary. <laughs> and you read what God says, and God just starts questioning him. Basically saying, who are you? I mean, seriously, Job. Who are you? Who are you to question me? Where were you when I created the earth? You weren't there. Where were you? Who are you to shake your fist at me? Who are you to question what I'm doing? You are confused, Job. Let me remind you who you are before me. And then Job responds in chapter 40, verse 3 and 4. Job answered the Lord and said, after God rebukes him, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? This next part. So important for Christians to understand before a holy God. I lay my hand on my mouth. I lay my hand on my mouth. You know what Job says? I'm going to stop talking now. I'm going to stop spouting this. I'm going to close my mouth before a holy God. I think I should listen. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. 
reaction to the holiness of God. And isn't it true for us today that we don't know whether to be terrified before God or fascinated by God? I mean, when we hear about God's holiness and we read about we read Revelation, we don't know whether to be terrified by this God. We don't know whether to be fascinated with this God. You see this in the life of Jesus. You see that the people, there was this tension, right? You see that they, they, were, they were terrified by Jesus, including those who knew him best, his disciples, and yet they were drawn to him. So they were, they were scared to death of him, and yet they were also drawn to him. You see this even in our human nature today, that we have these ambivalent sort of mixed feelings about things, where we, we, have, we have this fascination with things that are frightening to us, or things that are unknown, and we feel drawn to them. It's like, I sit around a campfire and tell ghost stories. That's why some people like to go to scary movies. Like, how is that fun? You sit there and someone's, they're, they're just freaking out and they're jumping all over the place or they're crying by the end of the movie and then they go back again. Or they go to an amusement park, right? And they go off one of these roller coasters or one of these drop zone, whatever, the, and they're jumping and, and, and they're, they're, it scares them to death. Right? They get off and they're literally shaking and they're so frightened. And then what do they do? They go, they go to the line again. And they go right back to it because there's this, there's this thing where it's unknown and it's fearful and there's something in us that we're drawn to this but we're also frightened by it. And it's the same as when we come to the holiness of God. We, we're, attra- we're, excuse me, we're attracted to the holiness of God yet at the same time we feel repelled by the holiness of God. We feel fearful before the holiness of God. Like Isaiah says, woe, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips, and yet we want to see God, and we want to know more of God. The holiness of God. What does that mean? I mean, we see how people react to the holiness of God. We understand the importance of the holiness of God, but the word holy shows up 600 times in your Bible. There's a couple different meanings. One sort of fits inside the other. But one meaning of being holy has to do with this personal uh, purity and righteousness before God. Be holy and have this personal righteousness and purity before God. But the meaning of holiness that that fits within is holy literally means to be separate. To be different. To be literally cut off to be dedicated, to be consecrated, to be totally other. And this is what it's talking about when it's talking about God. We all have something that's, we have, we have holy, holy places. Mind in your life, places that are set apart, that are special, that are meaningful. We have holy, holy times. Okay? The word holiday literally means holy day, a day that is set apart for something. And scripture tells us that the the most consuming attribute of God's character is that he is holy. God is holy. God is different. God is set apart. God is other. What is it telling us? God is not like us. God is holy. We should not come to God like we come to someone else. Because He is different. He is separate. He is transcendent. He is other. He is holy. We should not presume to come to Him like we come to anybody else. We should not speak to God like we speak to anybody else. We should not think about God like we think about anyone else. We should not come to a service that is meant to worship or its intention is to worship God like we go anywhere else. 
We should not communicate with God like we communicate to anyone else. We should not be with God like we are with anyone else. It should be different. There should be a great distinction in how we relate to God. Now God, we know through Jesus, is not just transcendent, He's imminent. He also has come and He is with us. And He abides with us and we may abide in Him. And He is as close, Jesus is, as a brother. He is a friend. He is our greatest treasure. But do not in that develop a theology that says that God is your buddy. God is a, this is what this is saying, is a holy God. And there should never be in us a loss of this being drawn to Him and being terrified by Him. God, You are so different than anything else. You are so much more powerful than anything else. You are so beyond my comprehension. And yet we come to God and we, we get upset when we don't understand things about Him. Or get frustrated when His plans don't make sense to us. We're forgetting that God is holy. Why would we presume to understand what a holy God is doing? Or when things don't go our way and we shake our fist at God and there's a, a movement that says that it's good to let your anger out with God. You should never be angry with God. You should never be angry with God. Why? Because God is a holy God. Well, but God can handle your anger. Of course He can handle your anger. He can dish it right back too. That doesn't mean that we can presume to be angry with God or to shake our fist at God or to speak irreverently to God. Oh God, I just need to blow up at somebody right now. You don't remember that God is a holy God. Your conduct with, before, interaction with, before God should be distinct. It should be different. And so we understand this meaning of holiness. And then the author of Hebrews says, you want to see God in His holiness? Strive for holiness. I think what he's getting at. Cut off. Holy, set apart. Cut off. Anything. Everything that is not pleasing to God. I cut it off. It's not pleasing to God. It's not honoring to God. Cut off anything in you. Strive to cut off anything in you that is not pleasing and honoring to God. Now as Christians, we like to take this and cut off everything around us that's not pleasing to God. Instead of looking inwardly saying, no, the problem is in here. I'm not talking about quitting smoking here. There's a bigger deal than that. Inward, right? The, the, this root of sin that is from within that we need to kill, we need to mortify, we need to fight to cut off these things that are not pleasing to God. But we go the easy route and we don't deal with our heart, we don't deal with our sin, and we just cut off sinful people and sinful places and sinful things. Oh, strive for holiness. That means we'll just, we'll just, when we're done here, we'll just put a padlock on the door and we'll just watch VeggieTales in here for the next 10 years and that will be striving for holiness. We'll just cut ourselves off from everything and anything that is not pleasing to God. A lot of VeggieTales aren't pleasing to God anyway, so that doesn't work. But that's not what, what in us to strive then to be godly to be holy, to be godly, to be like God, to be like Christ, Christ-likeness, to be conformed to the image of God, to become like Him, become more pleasing, a more honorable vessel for Him. Strive for this. Otherwise, as God's saying, be holy, for I am holy. Look to me, be holy, for I am holy. So three quick for those of you who love the steps, three steps, <laughs> right? Three steps to a better you, right here. <laughs> Number one. Seriously, we're going to crank out your best life right now. 
Right now, not now, right now. Different book. Strive for holiness. Number one, understand you are holy. Christian, you are holy. Let that settle. I need to strive for holiness without which I will not see God. Okay, God, I hear what Peter says. Be holy, for you are holy. All right, God, what do we do? Time to white-knuckle this. But then what does God's word say? You are holy. You are set apart. There's a difference. One of these, one of the the theological word for growing in holiness is sanctification. And there are two kinds of sanctification. There is progressive sanctification and there is definitive sanctification. There is progressive sanctification. I am becoming more and more holy, hopefully, throughout your life. Becoming more and more like Jesus. You're becoming more and more pleasing to God. But there is also, we mustn't forget this, it's first and foremost, there is definitive sanctification. There is done, past tense. You are sanctified. You are literally set apart. You are holy. You are sanctified, made holy by God. Hebrews 10, verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Definitive sanctification or positional sanctification. You are holy. How how are you holy, Christian? How are you holy and set apart before God? You know what's going on in here, and you know it's not holy. So how can you be seen as holy before God? If you are Christian, understand you are in Christ. And Christ is holy. He was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. He was perfectly pleasing to God. And as a Christian, you are in Christ. He has imputed, which means you didn't earn it, deserve it, work for it, but He's given you, imputed His righteousness to you. It just showed up in your bank account one day. Like, where'd that come from? Jesus. He credited to you His own righteousness. And so now, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, you are righteous before God. You say, but I do this and I do that. Right, right, correct. And you're going to grow in that. And God will turn you into what you already are. But it's what the Bible teaches. You are holy. You are set apart before God. So this isn't now. You're, you're already going to see this. So striving for holiness and, and growing in holiness. So I'm not doing this, you know, scared to death of what God's going to do. And I've got to check these things off the list and white knuckle this so that I'm going to be accepted by Him. You're realizing, no, He has already set you apart. He has made you holy. He is shaping you. So out of a heart of gratitude, thank you, God, for setting me apart, for making me holy and seeing me through Christ. I want to honor you. I want to please you. I want to obey you. I want to live for you. That's my motivation. What a great God you are. I'm understanding the gospel. I'm seeing what you did for me. That had nothing to do with me or what I did or my actions. I was lost. I was running away from you. I was rebellious and you snapped me out of it and awakened me and brought me back to life and opened my eyes and opened my ears and to you be the glory. I love you. I want to, I want to serve you now. I want to honor you. I want to obey your word. Whatever you want me to do. I don't care what it costs me. It's all for you. Jesus, I love you. That's totally different. Totally different from a striving for holiness. That please, if I work hard enough, there'll be a great payoff at the end. So on my own strength, be holy. 
That's how you end up in a hot, sweaty room watching VeggieTales. Don't go that way. And number two. So understand you are holy. You've got to get that. And number two. Now grow in your understanding of what it means to be holy. Okay, so I am holy. I am set apart. I am saved. I am purified. I am cleansed. But, but, but now I still have remaining sin in me. Positionally, I know where I stand before God, but there's still a lot of bugs here. Grow in your understanding of what it means to become more like Christ. Grow in your understanding of what Christ has done for you. Grow in your understanding of your identity that is in Jesus and nothing else. Grow in, 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 in knowing His grace and His favor and, and His mercy and the justice that you have been saved from and that Jesus took in your place. Grow in your understanding of these things. Meditate on this. 1 Peter 1, 13-16 Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Right, so he's saying you're going to do something, but what's going to happen first? He says, prepare your minds for action. You're going to get out. You're going to do something, but first, you're going to prepare your mind. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So set, your, set your mind. You're going to do something here, but what do you need to do first? What's the motivation going to be? Set your hope fully on Jesus. Set your hope fully on grace. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but, and there it is again, be holy for I am holy. So we need to grow in our understanding of what it means to be saved by God and loved by God and to love God. We need to grow in our understanding. We need, we've talked about this, we need an accurate vision, if we want to boil this down, an accurate vision of God and an accurate vision of us. Because we've got a deflated vision of God and we've got an inflated vision of us and we've got to tip the scales, Lord willing. Reading the Bible and get a, get a big view of God and a small view of man so that we can say, as John Newton said, John Newton in the 1700s, Dear God, I confess I am not what I should be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I will be, but by your grace, I am what I am. I am not what I once was. I mean, grow in your understanding of that, of God's grace. You're not, you don't look like you're there yet. There's more work that needs to be done. But understand that God has set you apart and that this end where you're going and where you want to go totally pleasing and honoring to God that God through Jesus secured that day. Done. Only a matter of time, Christian. Jesus will not let you go. You're in Christ. There's not a single text that ever talks about God taking someone out of Christ. <laughs> You're in Christ. Number three. Okay, so number one, understand you are holy. You are set apart. You are saved. And grow in your understanding of what it means to become more what you actually are in Christ. Become more pleasing and honoring to Him. And then after you have that understanding and along with growing in that understanding, simply, number three, live accordingly. Live accordingly. So this is, this is the Christian life. It is understand, 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 do. It is believe, 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 do. We turn that backwards. We're all about doing things and not necessarily believing anything. A Christian is not someone who does. <laughs> a Christian 
is not someone who does great things. A, a Christian is not someone who does good. A Christian is someone who has turned from their sin and trusted Jesus. It's what you believe that makes you a Christian, not what you do. Now, if you believe, you will do. But I don't even need to say that. It's what you believe. And so this is the Christian life. That's why the book of Romans, right? There's not a single instruction to do anything until chapter 6, like verse 11. It's just all believe, believe, understand, know who you are in Christ. Know that you are holy, that you are set apart. Know that this is what he requires. Know all of these things. Okay, and now you know this. Do you have that vision of who God is? Do you see how small you are? Do you see how big he is? Do you see how great and gracious he has been to you? Okay, what are you going to do? It's like you're just, the, 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 at that point, you should just be like the pent-up racehorse, right? And the gate lifts. No one needs to tell you what to do. Live accordingly. Live accordingly out of gratitude for what Christ has done. And holiness will flow from that gratitude, not from fear. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. May our prayer be this. I close with this. Robert Murray McShane said, Lord, make me as holy as it is possible for a saved sinner to be. I mean, who gets the glory in this? Well, I believed. Not apart from God, you didn't. Well, I'm saved. Not apart from God, you're not. Well, I'm holy because God has set you apart. Well, I'm no longer struggling with this sin because God is restraining you. But I've become a better Bible teacher only because God has enlightened your understanding. Well, I'm more holy today than I was 10 years ago. I can honestly tell you I am not who I used to be because God's favor has been on your life. And He has mercifully walked with you. And you were a seed. And God made it grow. So Christian, strive for holiness. Please, God, honor God and understand that you may not boast nor become discouraged that it is God's Spirit at work in you to work and to will according to God's good pleasure. I'll pray and we'll share communion together. Ah, just the best part of our worship service. And Jesus gave his disciples this sign of his, his covenant and this, this, this salvation, this justification, this relationship that was made possible and assured through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have for 2,000 years as the church been eating this bread as a symbol of his body and drinking this cup as a symbol of his blood that we would not remember the covenant that we have with God in Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate this time together and we take it so seriously. If you are a Christian, then we're going to have leaders who are up here and they want to serve you. Come and take the bread and the juice and we'd ask you hold on to it at your seat. You can pray, you can meditate, and then we'll take it together as a family because this is a family meal. But if you're a Christian, not nominally, not notionally, but a Christian, you've turned from your sin and you've entrusted Jesus for your salvation. And He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is your treasure. If you're a Christian, this meal is for you. And if you're a committed part of Veritas or you are visiting, but you are a committed member at another church, that's it. If you are committed to a family and you are a Christian, 
then you're welcome to have this meal with us. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this afternoon. And we thank you for your grace that has been poured out so that our cup is just overflowing. You have been so merciful to us. We should not even be able to to stand in worshiping you. And yet you have overlooked so much. You have forgiven so much. You have cleansed us from so much. And so, God, help us to worship you as clean people today. Just mindful of what you have done. Not mindful in a in a knowledge, textbook, memorized sort of way, but mindful in our hearts, God, that we would would even feel now how good and gracious you have been to us. We love you. On this day, God, we give you all praise. We give you all glory and honor. We pray all of these things in the great name of your Son, whose name is Jesus. Amen.